Hey everyone, and welcome to Wedding Videography for Beginners. I am your host, Phil Beavout, and today we are talking about understanding the value in the equipment that you already own. All right, let's get after it. So I, well, first I, I meant to keep episode one of 2022 pretty quick, and I wound up talking for like 40 minutes. So I'm going to try to, this one's a little bit more structured, and I'm going to try to keep this more concise and to the point instead of me just going off on these little tangents. So that'll be good. Uh, just as a reminder, I am marking all the episodes as explicit. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be cussing like a sailor all the way through it, uh, but just in case I do. So that way everybody is forewarned. So let, let's kind of go through some background on why I want to talk about this. I am just as guilty as anyone else of constantly looking at and drooling over new gear. I'm always floating around like B&H and watching review videos on YouTube and that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know why I'm fascinated with it. It's just something in me that does it. And Brittany really has to reel me in on this issue because I will just try to spend money willy-nilly and buy everything in its mother when you don't need it. So why am I choosing to talk about this right now? And that's because it is the beginning of the year. We're into booking season. You're probably making money and you're looking for ways to spend it. So buying gear that you don't need is not how you should be spending your money. And there's a bunch of re- like there's a bunch of other stuff that you I would personally recommend that you are spending money on like investing it into something or reinvesting it into yourself. Like I, I'm a really firm believer that your gear doesn't really make you who you are. Um, like purchasing a course, getting better at your craft is going to be exponentially better for you than buying a Canon C70 or an FX6 or something like that. So I want to, I want to be very transparent because we just switched our equipment over to Sony. And I want to talk about why, why we did it, when it makes sense, and that kind of stuff. So right now you're probably like, Phil, you are a hypocrite. You're sitting here and telling us not to buy new equipment. And then 10 seconds later, you said, hey, man, I uh, just bought all new Sony stuff, which is kind of true. But let me explain. So we wanted to upgrade to a better autofocus system. And you like, why? And it's because in our, the market that we're breaking into. So in the luxury market, there is more of a focus on the like reception decor, the design, like those types of elements. Now, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's just kind of how it is. If you notice any luxury wedding videographer, the story revolves around, like there are giant, sweeping, wide-angle shots of the interiors of these just insanely designed spaces. We're talking thousands of flowers, you know, fireballs, cakes dropping from the ceiling. Like they they really go all out because the budgets are completely different in this market. And we need to make those like nice sweeping shots pretty much all the time. 
and the Panasonic doesn't really allow us to do that very well. And what I mean by that is with a Panasonic, you would need to pull focus on a point that you're going to stop at. Okay, so let's say you're going to walk towards the back of this room or whatever, and you're going to start up looking at the ceiling and you're going to do like a nice like sweeping shot down, like a, like a tilt reveal down or whatever. Well, if you've pulled focus in the back of the room and that's where you set your focus as you're doing your sweeping shot, chances are the ceiling, the stuff that's going on above you is not in focus because your focus point is set somewhere off in the distance. So that doesn't allow us to get the type of shots that we want. And that was getting really frustrating for me in post when I was looking at everything. It was like, man, like what, what is going on here? Like a third of my shots weren't completely in focus, which was just, it was was driving me insane. So we made a business decision to switch over to something that was more reliable in the autofocus realm. And we just went with Sony. It was kind of in our budget and that kind of stuff. So with that being said, when I say it was within our budget, it will cost us around $12,000 to do this changeover. Twelve grand for two camera bodies, lenses, and getting our Sigma lenses converted. And I'll talk about that here in a second, which is actually pretty cool. So that is a big investment, like a big investment. And that's something that you got to think about as you're buying gear. And we're going to talk about like when and why here in a second. But that's that's the price that we're looking at right now. So what we got was an A7 IV. We did buy two A7 IVs. Uh, however, I shipped one back yesterday. And reason being is because they overheat. Uh, I'm going to do a YouTube video on that here probably in like the next couple of days. So the YouTube video might actually be out before this podcast episode comes out. But the a7 IV definitely overheats in 4K60. You are not doing any long-form recording in 4K60. It's really unreliable. I got in between 30 to 50 minutes, depending on like how I had the camera set up. I mean, down to not dual recording anymore and having the doors open for the HDMI ports and the uh, microphone input, having those open to allow some heat dissipation and that kind of stuff. Like it's just not, it is not meant to do any long form recording in 4k 60 whatsoever. And we personally would shoot at 4k 60 all day long. And right, wrong, or indifferent, we did that because it was easier than trying to remember to switch back and forth. Because 4K60 on a 24 timeline looks just fine. And so, you know, obviously we're not going to be doing that. And you can't record a ceremony in 4K60. Not saying that you need to, but for us, it just made life easier. We didn't need to really focus too much on the frame rates because we just stayed in a constant frame rate until dancing in the reception. And we dropped down to 4K24 because at a 50 shutter, uh, it's significantly brighter. So we would do that to make it brighter in the dark reception areas. So 
one thing that I thought was really cool about Sigma, and this isn't really a, you know, this isn't meant to be a plug, but it was just something I thought was really cool, is we had purchased all Sigma L-mount glass for our Panasonic S5s. We wound up, I found out, that you can actually ship your Sigma lenses back to Sigma, and they will change the lens mount. Now, it does cost money. For the three lenses that we did, it's going to cost us 880 bucks. That's part of that 12K. But we will have our 24 to 70, our 35 1.4, and our 85 1.4 all converted to Sony E-mount with the compatible focus motors and that kind of stuff uh, rather than buying new glass. So that's way cheaper than buying new lenses. Now, we did pick up two other lenses. I grabbed the Sony G Master 16 to 35, and I also grabbed a Tamron, I think it's a 70 to 130, 2.0 or 180, 2.8. And uh, I grabbed an adapter, the Sigma MC11, which will convert our EF, our Canon, yeah, Canon EF 70 to 200 F 2.8 to a Sony email. So we can just use that lens. So there, there was a lot of logistics involved, including buying like all new batteries. We had to get new memory cards and that kind of stuff because it's recommended that you have V90s. Like switching over your equipment is it's it's a pain in the ass. So it's not, you know, this goes back to using everything. You know, we had a need for it and I'm going to roll into, you know, when and why you should be doing this stuff right now. But it's not, it's not an easy thing, at least not for us. Like it involved a a lot of purchases and waiting for stuff to come in and then selling other equipment. And yeah, it's just been a, a pain. So when and why should you be buying gear? I would highly recommend that your equipment at least is three to five years old. It's probably time for an upgrade. If your camera is over five years old, uh, you've also gotten your worth out of that camera. And that kind of goes for computers too. Like I wouldn't get a new computer if it, you know, if it's not three to five years old, I wouldn't get a new computer. I'm, I'm editing off a 2019 MacBook Pro with 16 gig of RAM. And I just edited Apple ProRes 444 footage. Uh, and as long as you're using like optimized or proxy media, your, you know, your computer, I know mine handles everything without a problem. So there's no need for me to go out and purchase a new M1 Max or something like that. As cool as it would be to get that, there's just no need for me to do it. Like that's just, that's not economical for me. Or uh, if your cameras are not three to five years old, and you find yourself in a market that requires your requires you to get something else. So that's our scenario. Like the market that we are currently in is it's going to require us to use different equipment. Like the RS5 just it wasn't cutting it for what we needed. It worked just fine in the other markets that we were in. There's nothing wrong with the Panasonic S5. I think that the image quality is fantastic. In fact, um we're shooting mixed, to be honest with you, for one of the ceremony cameras and the couple's reaction camera is one of our Panasonic S5s. We're going to keep using an S5 in that capacity because the S5s don't overheat, period. 
So I can turn that bad boy on and walk away from it and not have to worry about it just shutting off on its own. The only downside with the S5 is it's got a 30-minute record limit, which is really arbitrary for Panasonic because I don't even think it has a heat lamp. Like, I don't think it has an indicator for it, to be honest with you. So uh, we, we're still going to be shooting with that, and then I'll just color match and post, which isn't really that hard. So just something to think about. Like we didn't, we didn't completely switch over just because we don't need to. And if we would have bought another camera body, we would have been up to $16,000 instead of 12. So this stuff starts to get expensive real quick. And you want to make sure that you use your equipment to its fullest potential before you get something else. Like you don't want to go down this rut of just constantly buying new stuff because you are not going to see a return on investment. And we'll talk about that here in a second, but you're, you're just not going to see it because you're going to spend most of your money uh, just buying the equipment to give you an example for our $12,000 worth of gear. It is going to take us filming an extra one and a half weddings this year to pay for it. So there is a sunk cost involved this year that has us working more to pay for the equipment that we purchased so we can make up that money, which, you know, I mean, think to yourself, how long and how much work do you have to go through to book a wedding? You have to find the couple, you have to you know, do the discovery calls, answer all their questions, go through the entire booking process. You have to cultivate that relationship. Then you have to shoot the wedding. You have to edit the wedding. Like there's, there's a ton of stuff that goes into one wedding. You know, for us, you're looking at like 40 to 80 hours worth of work for a wedding, depending on the length of the film. And now do that one and a half times. Now we're looking at 80 to 120 hours worth of work in order for us to pay off camera gear. And that's time that you could be doing something else, anything else. Doesn't matter what it is that you're into. That's time that you, that's lost time in order to pay for camera equipment. So there's a lot of things that I think about now when I'm, when I'm going to purchase things. So it better be worth it. And we will be right back. Have you been struggling to make solid cinematic films? Do you watch other filmmakers and wonder why their products look so good? You need training. Good, specialized training. Something that is easy to digest and that you can take safely at home. I'm not talking about college. I'm talking about full-time filmmaker. Marco Wahlbeck and his team have put together an amazing course with over 400 training videos. Everything from Wedding Video Pro with Jake Weisler to how to edit with Premiere or Final Cut. Imagine getting proper, real-world training you can do at home. Imagine the impact that would have on your work, your skills increase, your quality increases, and then so do your prices. Click on our affiliate link below, take the free online training on their top 10 secrets to achieving cinematic shots, and see what full-time filmmaker can do for you. We did it. And it propelled our business. What do I recommend? What are we What are we thinking about here? Here are my recommendations. Like I said, you got to stick to that three to five year old mentality and really just maximize what you have 
and how you use the equipment that you purchased. You know, I'll give you another good example. I am recording right now on a Zoom H6 Handy Recorder. I've had this now for three years. The new Tascam, so the Zoom F6, I believe, came out with 32-bit float and all that happy jazz, and I didn't get it. One, it's expensive. It's like 700 bucks. And two, you know, my equipment works just fine. Well, the Tascam, uh, I think it's called like the Porta 6. I have it pre-ordered right now. Costs $499, and I grabbed one of those. I grabbed one of those not because my H6 doesn't work, because it works just fine. I grabbed it because the capabilities of the Tascam are so much greater than the H6. I'll give you a good good example. Right now, I'm recording to a memory card inside the H6. When I'm done recording this episode, I'm going to take the memory card out, put it in my hard drive, transfer it over to my computer, and then edit it in Isotope RX-8, then get it all loaded and blah, 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 blah. With a Tascam, the recorder itself acts as a USB interface to your machine. So if you guys are familiar with like the focus rights, like the two I twos and that kind of stuff, like I could have my microphone right now plugged into a focus, right? And be recording directly to my computer. But the focus, right? It's pretty expensive too. And that's a single application thing. Like I can hook speakers into it and I can hook my microphone into it, but that's it. That's all you're getting for it. The Tascam, however, is a 32-bit float recording device that which has auto gain. So I can simply plug that into a DJ soundboard, hit record, and walk away. Like there's nothing else for me to do. With my H6, I have to constantly be going over to it during the toasts or the ceremony and look at the audio levels, just like I am doing right now while I am talking. And then you have to manually adjust the gain uh, to make sure that you're hitting in that, and then what is it, negative 6 to negative 12 range, or negative 18 to negative 12, I think is what the range is where it should be hitting when you're recording. Um, so you're constantly doing that. Well, this eliminates that need, and it also will make my podcasting life easier because now I will be able to record directly into my computer straight into Isotope RX-8, and it will edit it while I'm doing it. So I can just run my editor real quick, and the episode is quote-unquote ready um, for posting almost like 10 minutes after I'm done recording. So it's going to make my life easier and it's not, you know, do I need something like that? No, not really. But is that going to save me time in post-production and also time at a wedding for me to be focusing on other things? Yes. So that is where that return on investment starts to come from. So either look at it as how much money am I going to make from something or am I going to add value to my business by reducing man hours? And if you can reduce man hours, that equates to money because you have to think everything that you are doing, quote unquote, you should be thinking to yourself, like if my hourly rate is 200 bucks an hour, and I have to edit a podcast or edit a film that's going to take me 10 hours. Well, that's 
2000 bucks. But if I am able to cut that editing time down to say five hours, I've now doubled my income because you've billed them for what you originally thought it was going to be 2000 and then you're able to do it faster. So you don't need to lower your price. You lower your effort. And that's how you start to get more money on the back end, if that makes sense. Like if you are able to cut down the amount of time it takes you to do X, your hourly rate will start to go up. So that's how I kind of focus on things. I focus on like, what can I do to improve a process to reduce the amount of time it takes me to do it? Therefore, you know, when I keep my price exactly where it's at, I'm technically making more money. So that's what the Tascam will help me do. It will reduce the amount of time that it takes me to do work, which will then make me get paid more. So don't get caught in this rut of thinking that you need to own the latest and greatest piece of gear that comes out every two months because it's virtually impossible to keep up with everything, to be honest with you. You know, we got the uh, Wireless Go 2. And I don't have any intention on getting rid of that. Uh, We have a Zoom F2, and there's absolutely no reason for me to switch to something else. That is a great little recorder. Uh, It's in 32-bit flow. Like, it it does an amazing job. The Rode just comes in so clinch uh, when you're just trying to get something quick on a wedding day. Like, I don't... It records in... What? 48 kilohertz at like 24 bits or whatever, which is fine. Like that's, it does a really good job. Like I have the gain pretty much locked in where I need it. And I know how far I should put it away from somebody's mouth. And it, um, there's no need for me to go out and buy, like, I, I want to say what just came out. I think it was a D DJI DJI just came out with a, 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 a new mic. And people are like, oh, will this replace the wireless go-to? And in my opinion, I doubt it. Like, and if you already have a wireless go-to, what's the point in buying something else? Like, the wireless go-to works really well. So maximize what you have until you need to actually, you know, purchase something. And then also you really need to look at your return on investment. Like, purchasing a new gear, is it is it really worth it? Like, are you going to see an ROI? How long is it going to take you to pay everything off? Because I would highly recommend not putting any of this on a credit card. If I were to drop 12K on a credit card, the interest would just be insane. So make sure that you have the funding to pay for your equipment. You know, you shouldn't be using credit to buy gear. Not unless, I mean, if you are just, just starting out and you're just buying your first camera and that kind of stuff, like I would limit it to that and then use whatever profit you're making to pay that, pay the card off as fast as possible. But if you're in this for like a year or so, like you shouldn't be using a credit card to pay for stuff. That's not a good practice to get into. Uh, and then just ask yourself, you know, like I'm spending my hard earned money. Like running your own business, getting couples, booking couples, like that is a pain in the ass to do. It really is. It's stressful. You're constantly wondering like, oh, you know, is this person going to book with me? Is this person going to email me back? Yada, yada, yada. So you have to like really sit down and have a good conversation with yourself. Like I'm spending my hard earned money on this. 
is it going to add value to my business? Because if it is not, you are wasting your money and you don't want to be going down that road either. Um, and just, I want to be, we were going into year, is this year four? Yeah, we're going into year four right now. And uh, I have not once had a couple ask us on a discovery call or a storytelling call, what equipment are you shooting on? What gear are you like? What, what's your audio gear like, et cetera, et cetera. They're cons- they are concerned with the quality of your film. They're concerned with like the narrative that you're going to try to shape. Are you dependable and reliable? Like, you know what I mean? Like they are concerned about things that directly involve them. Not are you shooting on a Sony or a Canon? They could care less about something like that. And you really need to have that in the back of your head when you're like, oh, you know, I'm shooting with a GH5. Well, in your market, a GH5 might be perfect. I love the GH5. I think that is an amazing camera and it still holds up today. So if you are comfortable with your GH5 and it's working, you probably don't need anything else. But it, for us specifically, for the shots that we are trying to get, we needed something different. And uh, so since I said we returned one of the A7IVs because we had originally bought two, we uh, we actually, we, I switched one out for the FX3. So I know it, it's really ironic because in the first episode of the year, I just talked shit about the FX3. And then I turned around and bought one. So don't worry. The irony is not lost on me as I'm sitting here. Um, But I am concerned about overheating just in general terms. Like I'm concerned about, I I, I don't want to have to worry about my camera shutting off during a ceremony because while we're not in Texas, New England gets insanely hot. We'll break a hundred degrees in the summer and we have humidity. So there were times where it was like, 98 degrees with like 91% humidity or it just needs to rain and it's not doing it. And it's like a swamp. So, you know, there, there is a, there is a concern with me for overheating. And like I said, we shot 41 weddings last year and not once did I think about my Panasonic's overheating ever, nor did they. So even in those like extreme conditions and that kind of stuff, like they just trudged all, like we shot in 4K60 the entire time up to the ceremony and then would shoot the entire ceremony in 4K60 and never had a problem. And I want to keep that same mentality. So what my thought process is, is that I'm going to keep the a7 IV on our gimbal and that'll be my primary camera. And then I'm going to give Brittany the FX3 because she's going to be handheld and, um, it will toss the Panasonic S five up for the ceremony and the speeches. And the rest of the day will just be between those two. And I just won't, I just have to be more conscious about 4k 24 and 4k 60 and like when and where, et cetera, et cetera. So just something to give you like our mindset when it comes to that equipment and how, how we plan on using it. Um, but I, I just want to circle back to what I was talking about with the recommendations and just make sure that you guys, you really understand that your worth and your price. So what you're charging for a wedding is not based around the cameras that you have. 
It's based around the product that you are producing and the people that you have around you. And what I mean by that is that's a whole networking thing I've been trying to drive into everybody. Like your price is based on that. It is not based, like I know plenty of just top-notch wedding videographers out here that do insanely good work and all they shoot on is three GH5s. That's it. Like it is not about your equipment. It is about what you can produce with it. So just keep that in mind. So you know, if you have any questions or if you have any, you know, if you want to argue with me over this, like feel be, be my guest. Uh, we're, we're good. Like go ahead and do it. Um, you know, be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure that you're you know subscribed to the podcast. Don't forget to join our private Facebook group, Wedding Videography for Beginners. Uh, you, if you have any questions, feel free to send us an email at hello at wvfb.co. So it's not .com, it's .co. And we hope everyone is staying safe and healthy, and we will see everybody next week. All right, out. Are you backing up your footage? Is it seamless, running in the background, and easily available? Bring in Backblaze, the world's easiest cloud backup. Our workflow is so simple. We offload our footage onto our external drives. Then that evening, the files automatically start backing up into the cloud. There's nothing else for us to do. Imagine having the peace of mind that your footage is stored off-site in a safe location where you can easily retrieve it from your browser and that it is crazy affordable. That's Backblaze. Click on our affiliate link below and get one month free.